Today on the HowDoIRepent.org podcast, who is God? What does he expect of us? What are our next steps? The antidote to sin, the process involved, and core principles of God's commandments and their validity and purpose, all today on the HowDoIRepent.org podcast. Good morning, my friends, and welcome back to the HowDoIRepent.org podcast. My name is Mike, along with my bestest friend, Mr. Dan. Dan, good morning, my brother. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning, Mike. Dan, we want to first summarize a little bit of what we've been discussing briefly leading up to this point, uh, hitting some really pivotal and necessary points, and then we want to get into sin, the antidote to sin, processes involved. What does God require of us commandments, what does all of that mean? Are they still valid? Is there still a purpose? And so let's start out with a little summary of what we've been hitting over these past couple of weeks. The last the last couple podcasts, we had gone through the process of really explaining that sin is not subjective. Not it, You just can't say, oh, well, this is what I think it is. There, there's actually instructions that teach what sin is or what the consequences of sin are. And in there's a process that the Jewish people teach their children to understand that. And it usually starts at a young age of five or six years old. And they go through a five-year process of understanding the Torah, which is the instructions of God. And, and then once they go through that, and they've come to this point where they're at a level of maturity and they are accountable, then they it actually gets stepped up and they start understanding the oral teaching of how Moses instructed the children of Israel to apply those commandments, those instructions. And then after that, they go through a process of understanding all the commentary and how Jews over the last couple of thousand years have uh, thought about it and put it uh, maybe deeper into practice and give a good understanding of why they do that. And that's a, that's like an 18 year process. And that, that was one of the things we talked about. So, so they come to a point, they understand sin is not subjective. There's actually a process to understand it. We also talked about the seven laws that God gave Noah that really put a, a framework in place that all humanity can get along with each other, that they can, they can operate. We talked about setting courts of law. And what not to do. And then, you know, we, we touched on the part that, you know, it, it, even though these may not be clearly written in the Bible, we know that there was a flood and God punished the world for not following the laws that were given, that they disobeyed. And then we went on in the next podcast and we were talking about how, um, to get a perspective of God to look at how sin is used to help really test somebody to really show that they they are in a place where they want to serve God and how God may look at that. And then also talked a little bit about the feast and how there's a process of us going through every year of, of this repentance process of coming out of, um, of, of sin and then coming to a point where we hear God and, and understand, hey, this is the path that I need to go. This is the direction I need to lead. And then there's a time in the year where God allows us to come to him and really lay out our hearts. And, you know, so that, that was basically just kind of given a base of what, what sin is and, and how to look through or go through that process of really identifying it. And we even talked about a little bit about the Antichrist of how the, the, the spirit of Antichrist is there. It, it, you know, we look at it, we're, we're trying to look for a person, 
but there's actually a spirit of antichrist that's present and has been and it's it's everywhere and it's even in the church and it's not that churches are bad it's just there's a spirit of antichrist and and antichrist is lawlessness and and really thinking about that from a point like well did god really say this did god really say the sabbath is on a specific day did he really say the feast are a certain way does that really matter and and really that that's kind of a base for lawlessness and, and it's something we all go through i mean every single one of us have gone through this point where we're like does this really matter and and it, and the thing is, we have a choice in life where we say, well, yeah, it does matter, and I need to learn this, and I need to start walking at it. And I, I may not have it all figured out. I may not be perfect, and that's fine, but I'm going to go in this direction and start learning God. And and in that new covenant process that God has, he starts changing our heart to where we really want to serve him as we are obedient and we move forward towards him. So, Dan, very well put, incredibly explained, and you're exactly right, the over over all encompassing question could then be stated why is there evil in the world why are there these opportunities to choose for for what for what purpose is evil in our world and we've explained that all of these things this whole entire book that is truth we call the bible lays it out that there is a purpose to overcoming sin, engaging in darkness, having that opportunity to choose. And I was drawn back to the verse in Isaiah 45, 7 that says, I am the Lord and there is no one else. I form the light. I create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all of these things. So everything that we are talking about and everything that we're going to dive into today, there is a purpose to, but it all comes from God. Everything is subservient to God. So when we dive into this, my friends, and when we are talking about all of this, you have to understand that these things are allowed to engage us so that we make the choice to draw near to God or to turn away from God. But it has to be on God's terms. It cannot be on our terms deciding what we believe is right, what we believe is wrong, because what is wrong for you is not necessarily wrong for me. There has to be a point of origin. And I believe making the case for, or even presenting in the past couple of weeks, that there is a case for, there is a purpose to sin. There is a purpose to choosing the right way, but it has to be God's way. So Dan, coming back into topic of conversation, you know, we've kind of covered who is God as far as what we can discern, and we're all trying to figure it out. And I like what you said, that it's a journey, and it takes, you know, even the Jewish people having this every day, all day, 18 years of, of and that's just creating a foundation. So we want to talk about the antidote to sin. Let's dive into that. We know the consequences of sin. The Bible says in Romans, the wages of sin is still death. The gift of God is eternal life, but that does not negate the fact that sin still has a place in this world, and it still has an effect on us. So with that in mind, and jumping into repentance, the antidote to sin, what is repentance? You know, just one step back, we're looking, so God set up these rules for a framework from the very beginning. You asked a couple of questions, or I just wanted to hit real quick on the point about, like, what is sin? Why do we, why is there evil in the world, and why is, why do we have to deal with this, basically? Well, in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve made a decision to question God's authority. 
and this is kind of what I was talking about. We all do this. Like that's what we're, we're saying. Well, is, is the Sabbath really on Friday? I mean, I know the Jews have been doing that for thousands of years, but does that really matter? You know, it's, it's these little questions that we get and we start questioning the authority. And it's very clear that God gave us the Jewish people as an example. So when we start questioning that, we're doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. Can I go back to Adam and Eve again? I've preached about it and I've read about it. And I noticed that through, you know, the beginning of Genesis, working through, I believe, up until chapter three, it talks about God's determination of what is good. You know, God said, and he made the heavens and the earth, and he saw it and it was good. He formed this. He saw that it was good going up through the creation story. So you go back into Genesis, and I believe it is chapter three, and it talks about the woman then started to determine what was good. She saw the fruit of the trees, saw that it was good and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, which tells me that in the beginning, God had determined what was good, set forth the instructions to say, this is what you can have. This is what you cannot have. My friends, do you ever get to that point of, you know, in life, God has given us the opportunity to enjoy the land, to prosper, to to live um, in such a fulfilling manner, and that is the 99%. And then all of a sudden, it's the 1% that we desire as a human race, that the flesh desires. The woman determined that was good. As soon as the woman started to determine what was good, that became a block between her and God. That became a block between humanity and God. The wages of sin is separation from God by determining ourselves what is good, going back to the subjective manner of sin, versus what God deems is good, the objective manner of life. You're exactly right. It, and I, I want to, I just got thinking about a scripture in Numbers uh, chapter 33, and at the end of it, uh, it talks about God, they're getting ready to go into the land, but God is telling them, they make sure to get rid of these certain people. And he's like, if you don't, they're going to be pricks in your eye and thorns in your side. And and God knows what's best. He 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 knows, you know, he, he's like, hey, I've got something for you. I've I've got this land, I've got this, I've got this potential in your life, but you have to get rid of these certain things because if not, they're going to hurt you. You know, from a Jewish point of view, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life were the actually were the same tree. It had different sides, so there was fruit of it. And it wasn't that God ultimately did not want them to know the difference between good and evil. He wanted it at the right time, and they weren't ready yet. And so Eve saw the desire of it, and she went after it. So so it wasn't, you know, and this is strictly from a Jewish side, because I know in, in, from a, a Christian side it may not be preached in that way, but... But from a from definitely from a Jewish side, they, it is it wasn't that God didn't want them to have it forever. It was just at that point in the in the in the story they were not supposed to take it. So essentially, there was going to be a choice at some point in the journey, but it just wasn't supposed to be then. Right, because God wants us to be smart. He want it, it's this is this is the thing when when God is when He created us, He you know if if He just wanted angels, He could have created billions of angels. You know, but he, you know, he didn't. He said, I'm going to create some people who have a choice. Wants yes. To desire him. Right. Otherwise, he can just There's go There's no point in creation. Exactly. Right. There's no so point in it. 
so we get this point where we're like, okay, hey, we're going to have to make a choice. But it's like in the story in, in uh, Numbers, he was taking them to the promised land, but God knew that they had to overcome certain things or it would hurt them. And so he told them, he said, hey, go in here, clean this up, do follow my instructions, and I'll walk you through this. It's the same thing he does in our life. He'll get us to a point. And it's like if, if, like if we are somebody who's a leader and we're starting to lead people, but we haven't worked on our character issues, well, that, then it's going to hurt us. And so God creates this framework, and he, he's leading us through it. And then we even get examples, and we talked about this a little bit last week in Jude. And, and, there, and in Jude, there was three examples. There was Cain, Korak, and Balaam. And, and all three of them, you know, they, they basically had the same issue. They were questioning authority. You know, Cain, Cain was questioning authority whether he, whether he had to take care of his brother or not. Uh, it was a moral authority that he just, that he should have known. And then Korak was saying, Hey, I can be just as holy. I can set up whatever I want. I, I don't have to listen to Moses' authority. You know, and then Balaam, somebody who, who's doing his own thing. He's like, Well, I can go curse people. I can go do something. And he's a prophet. So he hears God. He thinks, Hey, I'm, I'm in the right. I'm okay. God talks to me, you know, but yet he didn't, he didn't listen to God's authority because Ultimately, he he did go bless them because he told them to, but in the end, he didn't because he he pursued he he told Balak, "Hey, go send the women, and that will hurt the the children of Israel." And so he he was deceptive. And and the core thing with all these guys, they had an authority issue, which all of us have. That is the core of it. And so there's a consequence to that. And in Jude, it actually lays out their consequences is in hell. It's torment, and then. If you look at it in real world, Dan, um, you know, this day and age, that's still happening, is it not? It's still yeah. going on today. So, and, and what I mean is, is that you have people, prophets, pastors, teachers, that if they're determining what is what they believe as a subjective truth, their interpretation, their preaching on that, it is the same effect, is it not? Because, yeah. you know, it's still leading them away from God while doing signs and wonders, while, you know, unless you measure it against this truth, which is what we are, which is what I am trying to understand, and, and Dan is explaining so well, that there has to be something that determines whether it is the truth or not. And if it's not, then it's it's totally against what God mandates. Well, you're determining now what is good, you're acting on it. But Dan, one of the things that I have a real problem with is teaching others and leading others to think. And I've always, you know, to think in, you know, this is the truth because they might not be reading the word. They might not be in, engaged or, you know, kind of just church is my only form of desiring God, my only way to, to learn about God instead of really devoting one's life to it. I've always wondered, Dan, like, we are all coming from the same Bible. There are so many different religions that are trying to explain it in their own way. Thus, why do, why do we have all of these different religions? Why do we have all these different ways to God when he simply said, come through me, Jesus said, come through me, and I will lead you to the Father. Come through me. Right. It's, it's the process that God, it's the process that God has set out from the beginning. Look, there's 5,783 years of example. And, and the Jewish people have 
that history and they have that understanding. God gave it to them. And that, that is hard for a lot of people to swallow when they, they're like, I have to go follow the authority of Judaism. I have to follow the authority of the Jews. Well, that's how God gave it. And, and you can think about it. it. This, this has been the same problem throughout the entire Bible. And, you know, even when we were talking about, uh, Jeroboam, I mean, here's a king of Israel who, who, who started making some changes, started changing the dates of the festivals that he didn't listen in. You know, it even started before that. Solomon changed a little bit of the thought, you know, of the wording and came up with a different approach. Every, every single one of us at one point in our life makes this, has this authority issue and we have this problem where we're questioning things. And, and it comes to the point when we start thinking about it from a subjective point of view, we're like, oh, well, it's okay. You know, and, and when it's really not. My question is then, Dan, what is the antidote to all of this? What is the antidote to sin? What are the next steps moving forward? What do we do? What, Physical things can we do to get back to a place where we are trusting God's process and acting on God's process? What do we do? Part of God's process is repentance. Repentance is the antidote to, to all sin. It's a four-step process. Uh, if you read Leviticus 26, it will outline in the beginning, there'll be a blessing when when the children of Israel obey God. But then it goes into a point There'll be a curse when they don't. So God is saying, he says, there's a consequence for your actions. As you read through Leviticus 26 and you get to the, the latter portion, starting in verse 40 and on, God lays out, or God lays out a process where he says, look, if you confess your sins, then, and he's not only talking about your sins, he's talking about your sins and your, your father's sins. So this is, this is not only you it's it's you and what was before you so there there's a process in this it, it gets worse and worse through each generation so somebody has to come to a point and say god i'm so sorry i'm I'm sorry for the way you know for my family for all this and that's what he's laying out here in leviticus 26 then there's a you have to stop sinning you you have to make a decision to say i'm not going this way and you, you and then there's a portion of regretting the sin it's like I'm feeling sorry for it. This is not something that you can just say, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's a, it's a process of confession that, I mean, that takes time to really work through this. Yeah. I had a kind of a practical way to put this. When I would teach, I would bring somebody up from the audience and I would, I would whisper in their ear. Now I'm going to, I'm going to hurt you a little bit. Please don't punch me back. And as they're standing up on the platform, I'm talking about the weight of sin and how destructive it can be. And all of a sudden I turn and I slug the guy beside me. It would never be a woman. I would slug the guy beside me and I would say, how does that feel? And he says, it feels, it hurts. Why did you do that? And I said, you know what, man, hold on a second. And I would turn and I would walk to the other side of the platform and I would whisper, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me for that sin. Please forgive me for hurting my brother. I would walk back over and I would turn to him and I'd say, how do you feel? And he said, my arm still hurts. And then I would turn to him and I said, okay. And I'd slug him again. And he, he's, his arm's now throbbing. I hurt him again. And then I'd go down to the altar and I'd raise my hands and I'd say, Father, forgive me. Oh, I feel so much release. I feel so much joy. But no steps were taken to reconcile with my brother. Nothing was done to make it right. Nothing was done to bring peace 
to an otherwise horrible circumstance, I might be simply confessing and saying with my mouth, but there are more processes or more steps involved to this process. You, you, the whole thing of making the wrong right is a big part of repentance. And, and it even, it even says this in Leviticus 26:40. but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hosti- hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them, so I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they, and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. This is this is a very key scripture talking about the new covenant because this is what Jeremiah is referring to when he's talking about the new covenant. The the process of making the wrong right. And we we can think I think we've, a lot of this has been brought up in in just in church in general to say Jesus took care of the issue and we don't have to we don't have to make the wrong right. And so we just have this thought because it's already all been taken care of. Well, then Matthew 5.23 doesn't make sense then. So it says when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that you have your brother or sister or something against you, obviously because they've been hurt or sinned against, leave your gift there at the altar. Go make peace with that person, then come back and offer your gift. And and making making the wrong right is also, you know, where you make correction and you're not doing it again. Right, so it you, brings forgiveness in the heart of the person that you've wronged. So now right. you're helping them to overcome yeah, and so once you understand there's there once you understand there's a uh, issue that there's a there's a mistake that you made and you're going to make it right. You you got to make it right with your with the person that you hurt, but also you got to you got to make a correction where you're not doing it again. And so that Correct. that so that whole process of confession, stopping, regretting, and making the wrongs right. You, you're going through the process of recognizing what it is. You, you make the actions to stop it. You actually feel sorry for it. And, and in, in doing, in feeling sorry for it, you're making a correction. So that, that's a standard teaching. That's what repentance is. And through that process, we will, it will be made right. And things will, will start healing. And there's a process that happens where we can start growing again. Well, that would go into Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, repent, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So, Dan, going back to Hebrews ten twenty six, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, there is no sacrifice left for sin. Does that does that relate to how we think Jesus? did away with it all. But if we keep sinning, there's, there is going to be a judgment given based on if we do not repent. Well, there's definitely in Romans 2, it says in Romans 2, 6 to 11, and I, I recommend everybody read that, there's a consequence to sin and we will be held accountable. And Paul makes it clear, uh, Jew first and the Gentile. I mean, there, there, there is consequence to sin. I think the, the, we get the word grace put in and we're saying, oh, God's going to have mercy and grace on us and not cause and not have to pay for our sin. Well, this world, we hope that we can pay for our sin in this world. <laughs> and that's what the whole sowing and reaping is, because you don't want to pay for it in the next world. You well, want so to make Tell us about it. that, Dan. I, I want to get into that because you actually have a really cool parable. Can you can you lead us through that with the settling out of court? Yeah, Jesus said in Matthew five twenty five, you know, he said, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going out with him to court 
least the accuser hands you over to the judge and then the judge to the guard and you'd be put in prison. You know, he goes on, he, he basically gives us a strong warning that you want to take care of this before you even get to court. Well, one day, and Paul says, you know, every one day, every person is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You want to make sure that all this is taken care of. That's why, that's what the repentance process is. It takes us through this process that we can, you know, that's, that is why we say it's the antidote. Because, I mean, you, you know, I heard one pastor say one time that you want to make sure you go to the dentist in this world because you do not want to go to the dentist in the next world. <laughs> you know, so, and, and it was just funny the way he said it. But I, you know, in, in Romans two, Paul said, it says he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking or those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So, you know, if you want to ask, well, how did, what did Paul say to do to get eternal life? Well, follow the commandments. That's so exactly what, what you said. So what you're saying is that I've heard it said multiple times that you cannot do works to gain salvation, but works are directly associated with being saved, enduring till the end and being saved. Yeah. How is, you is believe- that a correct statement? Yes, how, how you believe is how you will live out your life. First John 2 says, if you, if you do the commandments, you know God. You, you know God because you keep the commandments. So as you grow, let's just use this 18 year process of, of studying the Bible and then coming to a point where you can make decisions. If, if you're making decisions correctly, we're not saying that you have to be perfect and we're not saying that you have to be a Jew. It's it, the thing is, it's that you're working through this process of understanding God, his instructions. And as you do, you'll know him. And Jesus said eternal life is to know the father. So, you know, the father through keeping his commandments. So it's a common sense, logical process to, to if you're obeying the commandments, Paul saying in Romans, you'll gain eternal life. Well, it also says in John 14, 15 through 31, but more specifically, the beginning of the uh, the passage here, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will stay with you forever, i.e., you know, the Holy Spirit. Um, he is the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. The world cannot receive him because it cannot see him or know him. So more specifically, in the beginning of that, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I always say to those I'm speaking with that God has a love language, and the love language is obey my commandments, obey me, listen to what I'm saying and put it into practice. We can jump and dance around, and I'm not against any of this, but we could do all of these extracurricular things, but if we are not doing the basic of what God desires, are we really connecting with God on a level that we want to be connecting with God? Right, and, you know, the just looking at what the basic, things are that god requires we'll go back to the seven commandments that god gave all humanity and you know you can go back to the first uh podcast on this series on what is sin and we go over them but they're they're basic laws like don't steal don't kill you know have courts of law you know there's basic things that god set and and those were a foundation that that then god gave the ten commandments and so the in those ten commandments basically strengthened the seven commandments, and so as you come to understand God, 
it strengthens your relationship with him. As you, as you become strong in keeping a commandment, then you can build on that and, and you get another one. I've heard it said that the law, the instruction, the connections to God, that they were done away with. And I know it seems foolish, but really it is at the heart of this discussion. You know, if God did away with the mandates that he set in place from the beginning of time, does it now mean that we have the opportunity to sin because grace has been extended? And we know that what Paul said was he said, you know, do I go on sinning because grace has been extended? By no means. So, but it begs the question, if it's done away with, if things are not necessary to do anymore, and if God really did hand it to us, hand creation to us and say, it's on you, you determine and you move forward with it, you know, I'm going to be okay with that. I don't believe that for one second because we see the status of this world and the status of the church, whereas we start to dive off and move into the direction of our flesh versus moving closer to God and spirit. If that were the case, then we would see a different dynamic happening in this world and we would see more love, more fruits of the spirit. But really, we don't see that. Why is that? You have to ask yourself that question. So God God makes us over. He wants us to overcome sin, right? It says that in Genesis. The point of this is what? What do we gain by going through this very difficult process? What are we trying to achieve? We're, we're working with God through the process he laid out to get the best fruit in the end in the resurrection. We, we, God is trying to give us the best fruit. Just like we were talking about in Numbers when before the children of Israel went to the land, God was preparing them saying, you got to get rid of this, you got to do this, or else it's going to be an issue for you. And it's the same thing, just like when we... When we go and, you know, right before we go to eternity, God is, is prepping us for eternity. And so the way he does that is by giving this framework of these laws. And so we got 2000 years now of, of so many preachers teaching that God did away with these laws. Well, that's a negative impact on this world. So we can look at today and say, well, where's the world at today? Well, it's the, it's the fruit of what's been preached. It's the fruit of what's been taught. If we look at just, just let's go back and look at the Ten Commandments. There, there's two categories in the Ten Commandments. There's the first five categories and the second five categories. We talked a little bit about this last week. The first five categories is about loving God, and the last five categories is about loving your neighbor. There, there, so there, there's ten categories of commandments. The, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, it, it's been well documented. Leaders, the Jewish, the rabbis teach there's 613 commandments. So you could go through the, those first five books and they pulled out 613 commandments and they deal with, uh, wrongful acts towards people. You know, we call it tort, you know, in, in a legal system. There's damages. There's a, there's, there's laws about judicial system. There's laws about court. There's social justice laws. There's sexual ethics. There's laws about service to God. So, so you got these categories. You got these 10 categories that are the 10 commandments. Those 10 categories in one way or another, each one of them tie in one way or another to the 613 commandments. So if you were to look at it and say, well, I follow the 10 commandments. God did away with all of the 613 laws because it's just something that we cannot do. But I do the 10, I, I follow the 10 commandments, Dan. I mean, I, I don't murder people. 
elaborate. So I don't murder people, but what what do what does the law of God say about murdering someone? Well, there's a law about not talking bad about somebody. You're hurting them, and it's called Lashahara. Well, that is murder. So you're murdering your character, essentially. Yeah, you're murdering their character. You're hurting them. There's a law about kidnapping that that ties to don't steal. There is a law about not that what happens if you disrespect your parents. That goes to the law of thou shalt honor their father and mother. There's a law about service. You know, one thing I that was a huge revelation to me when I heard about the the laws of a servant. Back then, slaves was a common thing. And, you know, and even just in the last hundred years, it was common. So we can't say this was too far off, but the the Torah makes a comment on it. And actually, when it's talking about a servant, um, and there's there's a scripture that talks about a father selling his daughter as a slave. Well, Mm -hmm. we look at that, oh, that'd be terrible. But what that is, is the... The the father that family is not is is a lower class family and there was not really a way that a lower class could mix with an upper class. It, it's 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 a social type you know justice. I believe situation. that's found in Exodus twenty one. If anybody it, is following, yeah. It, and, and so the the process is is if if me as a father want my daughter to have a better opportunity, I get the right to sell her to a master. The master has to allow this slave to marry his son and if he doesn't then then the well, master, he has to pay it back right yeah mm-hmm. the, the, the master has to pay it back what i'm saying is this, it wasn't a bad situation it, it was actually something good that allowed a lower class person to marry into an upper class family which is is a really good thing so th- there's just these angles in these laws that if you read them at face value th- it may seem crazy or it may, i can't do this there's a scripture that talks about if you fail at one part of the law, then you're guilty of the whole law. And, and actually, that's in James. And James was talking to the leadership, and he was telling them, look, don't show partiality towards other. And he was he was actually using it as a point and just making a, a statement and saying, hey, if you commit if you're committing a sin, you know, by showing partiality to somebody, you're basically you're a transgressor. You know, you're you're failing at the whole thing. And it, it wasn't, and I think the preaching has gone to the point where it's like, oh, you don't want to do that because, you know, if you're going to try to keep one law, then you're going to be guilty of everything if you fail. Well, that that's totally out of context of what James was talking about. But the, but the thing is, when we're, when we're following a court system, we're keeping the laws. The, the, there was, there was one time I was talking to somebody and I said, hey, all, all the, all the, all the laws we follow today are from the Bible. They, they all come from a base of the Bible. And then he came back and said, no, because we had, they were common law. We had this. And he was just making a, a excuse that, you know, we don't, we're not following the law. But the reality is <laughs> we are following the laws. Don't steal. Well, that's in the Bible. Don't kill. That's in the Bible. It's just there, there's a, there's these categories and, and I don't want to get too far off of this, but the thing is there's, there's these 613 commandments that God's laid out and said, Hey, these are ways you can create eternal life. This is ways that you can gain a benefit in eternal life. Oh, Jesus even talked about storing up treasures. You know, don't, don't store up treasures here in this earth. You know, do it, you know, in heaven. So it's not a bad thought to to you know be obedient to get benefit in eternity right and to basically be an advocate i'm wondering why the need to stress and fight against so much something that god intended to be good 
he's never de- he's never determined or spoke to the fact that this is wrong. You don't need to do this. And I don't think there are any scriptures that could be misconstrued in that way. And you talk about, you know, the law and it being good. Something from God is good. Why the battle to try and disassemble and throw something that God gave from the beginning of time? These are my commandments. These are the things that I want you to follow. This is how you will live a good and prosperous life. Why then the battle to say, no, this is not necessary and it's not really going to help you. It's actually a burden. So I wanted to ask you, my question was, so how do we marry the two schools of thought when Paul came out? And I know that I hear people speaking from Paul all the time. It's it's basically where we get the majority of our teaching modern day. He says in Romans 8, 1 through 2, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit has set you free and then going back down through. And I want to say Romans nine, and I'm sure we'll hit it and I'm sure we'll jump into it, but it talks about, you know, the law was done away with. What is that relating to? He's talking about the law of, of sin and death. He's not talking about the, the covenant of God. So the there law. are many laws and, and covenants in the Bible, right? Yeah. There are he, many he, laws, the law of sowing and reaping measure for measures. Paul's making a point about the resurrection that 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 sin will not hold you down that you can be resurrected. The summary of the commandments is that God gave us these commandments to to live a better life in this world but also to produce eternal fruit for the next world. And you know when when you look at the laws, you know just look at there's I you know I can just think of three basic laws. I mean just talking about do not utter a false report. So you're going to say that's in Exodus 23. It's like, so God doesn't want us. He wants us to utter a false report or, exactly. you know, right. and there, there's yeah. a law that says don't mistreat an orphan or a widow. Oh, well, does that mean we don't have to worry about that? No. James makes the point that this is true religion. You know, in Exodus 21, it's talking about, you know, Sabbath principles of taking care of a servant, you know, to only let them serve for six years and then they got to go free. So there's a boundary. So these are things in the Bible that, that are morals. They're, they're basic principles that are set forth to live a life. And so for us to say, Oh, well, that's done away with. Well, the thing is that preach that most preachers will preach on when they say it's done away with, they're saying the consequences of sin doesn't affect us anymore. That's a direct contradiction to what Paul says in Romans two, because he says, Everybody will be held accountable for what they do, and and if we right. try to How say that, that, yeah, you know that that's the, the and the thing is this is really what the spirit of antichrist is. It's lawlessness. It, it bucks any authority, and and it, it and it's it's hard to grasp. But I mean, I had to come to it in my life and say, man, I'm. You know, I, and I can think of the time where I truly was repenting because I, I was looking at this from a point like, yeah, I don't have to worry about sin. And I was questioning sin. Oh, it's all right to do this. And, you know, and then I even had a pastor one time say, Hey, how do I keep, how do I keep my people from uh, watching pornography? Well, they, you got to understand there's consequences to that. And the thing is, if you're preaching every day, or if you hear preaching that says there's no consequence for sin, then, it, it's a total lie. And, and that's where I, I feel that's, that from my understanding, that's really what the spirit of Antichrist is. It's lawlessness. And it prevails when people preach against the authority of what God put in place.
Yeah, I would say I would say to you, Dan, that the wages of sin are still death. And I don't know about you, my friends, those who are listening, maybe in your car, maybe in your home, uh, maybe on your headset at the gym. But sin still affects me and I am still impacted by it. And if I continue, just like an addiction, if I continue to engage in drug abuse, if I continue to destroy my body with the things that this world provides, i.e. pornography, drugs, you pick the poison. I mean, we've, we've put sin into categories. Homosexuality seems to be more dangerous than this sin, and this sin is worse, and we want to we wanna really focus in on that. And then really say, well, there's no next step to making it right. There's no next step to moving beyond that sin because it doesn't affect me. Well, I want to tell you, if anybody has been through or has children or or family members who have been through uh, any kind of struggle, you know that it is a process. And if they continue down that road, it will lead to the demise of their marriages, the demise of their life. And so how I don't really agree with the fact that sin doesn't affect me. It does not impact me. Sin will impact us until the day we die, until the day we are standing before God. So, Dan, with all of this said, it kind of brings us to this point of what is the role of Jesus in all of this? If there is still the law and the wages of sin is still death, but the gift of God is eternal life, what does Jesus have to do in this process? What is his role? And how, what part does righteousness play and washing us clean? And I'd really like to dive into that next podcast. What do you think? Yeah, no, that'd be great. And it'd be good to talk about the suffering of the righteous and how it all plays together. And it comes back and affects it and it impacts us in our relationship with God. That sounds great. Yeah, I think that would that would be a really great place to take it. So, Dan, getting back into the Ten Commandments, you know, bringing some practicality into it, can you help us understand a little bit more in depth, kind of breaking it down, uh, even helping myself kind of understand some of the basic truths or putting it into a way where I can look and say, you know what, yeah, this is something that I've been confused about. Help me understand this. Help us understand this. Yeah, it, you know, if you go to howdorepent.org and you at the top is a tab there that says Ten Commandments, there's there's a good good foundation laid out here on this page talking about the blessing of the Torah and the curse of the Torah and some of the base principles. I just want to hit on a few of these base principles and kind of give you an, a, a thought. There there are five basic principles. There's probably more, but there's five basic principles that I understand of the Ten Commandments. And and I'll just run through them real quick. One of them is like, don't do away or ignore others, you know, uh, you know, deal with their differences. You know, kind of we're talking about, you know, loving your neighbors yourself. You have to get along with them. But at the same time, you have to, you know, love God. And, you know, like the number one commandment was I am the Lord, your God. So when I'm talking about don't do away or ignore others, don't come to the point where you're like, "Ah, I'm just not going to believe in God anymore. He's saying, I am the Lord your God. And then the sixth command was thou shalt not murder. Well, if you do away with somebody, you're murdering them. If you, if you hurt their character, you're like, these guys don't matter. I'm just talking, whatever. So that base principle is that you can't ignore others and you, you have to deal with differences and you've got to work through it. You know, the, the right. second, with the day, well, the day and age of social media, we, we need to be really careful because there is a lot of 
presenting oneself and then the destruction of said person, you know, yeah, it really does play a role in our lives. It really is present in this day and age through not only social media, but through gossip. And you're exactly. I mean, the, the second principle is don't betray relationships, which is right along with that. I mean, it's like the second commandment, that's will not make any other graven images. You know, don't betray your relationship with God. Don't put anything above God. And then, the other, and then like the seventh, was don't commit adultery. Well, don't betray the relationship that you have with your, your wife, your spouse. You don't betray your relationship with God. You know, the, the third principle is don't violate someone else's domain. You know, protect their existence. You know, there, there is also not take the name of the Lord in vain. Um, you know, is the third commandment. Don't violate God's domain. Don't violate that in, in any way. You, in, in actually it says, you will be held accountable for that. And then thou shalt not steal. You know, you're, you're not, you're not, you're protecting someone else's existence. So that's the third, you know, principle. The, the fourth one is safeguard the truth. You know, the, the truth is God created this world. That's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. That's what you're doing. You're remembering God created this world. You're standing in the place. You're protecting that truth by acting on it and remembering the Sabbath. That when, when we talk about, you know, keeping the commandments, we're protecting the covenant that God made. You know, the, you know, the, the ninth commandment was thou shalt not bear false witness against the neighbor. So you're safeguarding the truth. You're not, it, so that, that principle of safeguarding the truth is, it's a key point. And, and the last one is, you know, don't, don't seek another's life and be grateful for your own life. It's like, you know, honor your father and mother. Be grateful that you're here, that your father, God gave your father and mother that that's this is the life you have. You don't need to go seek another life. Honor that one, and then thou shalt not covenant. Don't try to get somebody else's life. So these these are like five basic principles in the Ten Commandments that all these commandments fall under. And in all six hundred thirteen commandments, in one way or another, are leading to one of these key principles. So to say, oh, don't you know that we don't need to follow any of that? Well, that's crazy. Yeah, you say that it's crazy. And I would agree with that term because I personally really wouldn't know what to do in taking next steps. And I think that that is a big issue in discipleship and what Jesus said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Well, he right. would have taught his disciples these practices. Yeah. And, and we are supposed to teach others as we are living them and understanding them. You know, we are, you know, and that's what John the Baptist was talking about was, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. People need to see that change. They need to see the growth in your own life before they will accept it in their own lives. And it goes to the old saying, you know, actions speak louder than words. Well, that's the truth. They will always see you before they will ever listen to a word you say. Saying that there's no need, that it is a bad thing, something good that God has given, and then saying, I'm going to fight against this because it's really not necessary to do that. Put yourself in that position. What then will you follow? You say, I follow the Bible. I want you to know that every single thing that has been said here, every single statement comes directly from the word of God. So the mindset should be, how do I understand this? Not how do I discard and what can I get away with? Yeah, the, not understanding the, the curse of the law is being separated from God. That's the core. And like Isaiah 57, 17 says, you know, that you, that you won't have the ability to know God. 
unless you work through this repentance. It's God is hidden and you become deceived. I mean, that's what Deuteronomy 32, 20 says. You know, and not able to understand God. That's what Hebrews said in Hebrews 3, 10. You, or Paul said in Galatians 5, it produces fruit of, of the flesh. In, you know, Deuteronomy 28 and 40, 48, 47 says you you submit to the evil inclination. I mean, there's so many scriptures. You, you basically, you cannot connect to God and you become separated. That is what the curse of the law is. The blessings of the Torah is that there's a covenant. There was a base covenant and each covenant's built on the next one, including us accepting Jesus and believing in Messiah. That's a part of one of the old covenants. And then the, the ultimate climax of the new covenant is that God says, I'll change your heart and make you want to serve me. So it start. That's why repentance, going back to this, the very beginning, the whole summary, this whole thing, repentance is the antidote to this entire problem. And it starts with confessing and saying, hey, I've got a sin issue here. I've, I'm, I've got an authority problem. I don't accept God's ways. And I'm doing the same thing Adam and Eve did in the beginning. And God, forgive me and help. And you got to stop that. And you got to say, okay, God, I want to follow your ways. And he lays it out. He's like, look, you connect to the Jewish people. They're going to, that gives you a good base to start with. And you're going to go through this process of regretting what you did. And that's okay, but I'm going to give you the ability to make the wrongs right. And you make the wrong right by first stopping sin. And then you start turning towards God and saying, God, how do I live this out? And when you live that out, you're protecting the covenant. And ultimately, that's what making the wrong right is. And, and that's what it says in, in Titus. There's, there's a scripture in uh, Titus 2 where Paul says, God gave us favor. It says grace, but the, the same word grace is favor. You we talked about God that gave, on a podcast, right? Grace, yeah. Favor. Yeah. God gave us favor to turn ungodliness into godliness. And that's what Paul's praying. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really love the going back and forth and, and attempting to understand and trying to understand. And I'd really like to hear uh, what you'd have to say in some closing remarks as we uh, as we wind down this time together today. You know, the thing is, there's a lot of bad teaching out there. And, and it's not that people, I, I don't think they're malice in trying to say, um, hey, I'm going to preach totally against God. It's just it's hard to understand God's ways when you start with a base of not really wanting to submit to the authority of God. And when you have leaders just for so many years that are teaching from a point where things are subjective, you know, and just re rejecting the laws of God, it makes sense why we are at where we're at right now. The thing is, we're all a part of this this plan of redemption, and a part of this plan is the process of repentance. And we all have to come to this point where we just submit to God and say, okay, God, I've misused your ways, and I've misused your instructions, and help me to, to follow them. Just coming to that point really opens a door where you start going down a, a process where God will put the right people in your life, the right circumstances come along and, you know, you start to grow. And and really, the, the thing is, there is so much blessing in obedience and following God. And, you know, we just kind of hit on some of the top, uh, some of the top principles. And there's so much more to explore. It's a lifelong journey. And I just encourage everybody to make a decision to join it and, and start down this path and and watch what God does. Dan, I really appreciate your thoughts, and I really value what you have to say because it is very practical. 
a lot of what's been said are biblical truths that could be applied to my own life. But my friends, I would encourage you, and I always tell my children and anybody that I am walking through this journey with, don't take my word for it. Your directive, your mission is to ask, seek, and to knock. Your directive is to study the word, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to fill yourself with understanding, to test the spirits, to test this truth that you would hear and say, you know what, is this something that I want to allow in my life? Is this something that I want to fall on fertile soil in my life and have the opportunity to grow something incredible or to grow something that will destroy me? And a lot of times, confusion is a very good indicator of, is this really something that resonates with the spirit of God and resonates with the spirit inside of me? Or is it something that is really is really going to lead to my own destruction and pull me further away from God? You know, I look at the story of Adam and Eve, and because of their choice in a subjective truth, this is good, I determine what is good, and then acting on that, they were kicked out of the garden, and they were not allowed to re-enter the garden, thus separating them from a true, personal walking and talking in the garden with God, they are now separated from God. So my friends, I would encourage you to really pray and to really seek and to really try to understand. And there is an incredible website, howdoirepent.org, is taking you through this process of true biblical repentance founded on scripture. Again, we desire, my desire is to live this out every day. I've been through this journey multiple times, and I am still going to continue on this journey. It really helps me see the wages of sin being death and really helps me understand in my own personal life what is sin. And then I have to determine I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose another way. And it has really brought peace to my marriage, peace to my life, love for others. It really is something that is producing fruit that impacts the world. Because I want to leave you with this thought, is that the Bible talks about connecting to the vine. It is God through you that will make an impact in this world. But we must determine to keep that pathway, to keep that conduit open. And this is really the path that God determined was necessary to do that very thing, to keep a connection with him. So my friends, I would encourage you to keep moving forward, keep diving in, don't allow those walls to come up in your life and, and those thoughts to be growing something that is going to tear you away from God. Study, love God, love others, and we will be back here next week to dive into Jesus, righteousness, the next steps. We love you all. God bless you. This is the HowDoIRepent.org podcast.